Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying at a single hour to your span of life, if then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marvana, for reading our scripture this morning. My name's Emily. I'm one of the pastors here, and today we are wrapping up a stewardship sermon series we've called Treasures. Jesus invites us in this series and in our passage today to question around what we wrap our lives and hearts. In other words, what we treasure most. Many people will say that the easiest way to find out what we treasure most is to look at our bank statements and calendars and see where we're putting our priorities and offer it up to God, asking, praying, what would you have us prioritize and treasure most, Lord, and what would you have us invest our lives? Would you pray with me as we begin our message this day? Generous God, loving, gracious, merciful God, it is in you that we live and move and find our being. You are the one in whom we find life and hope and meaning and belonging. Thank you, Lord, that you give us ground on which to stand no matter what happens in our lives. Lord, this day, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, our redeemer, our savior, and our refuge. And all God's people said, Amen. Last summer, I was traveling with my dad, down Highway 12 in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. 
It's a beautiful drive if you've never taken it. There's the ocean on one side and many houses on the other. I was driving down that Route 12 and I kept looking to the side to see the ocean and the waves and the sand dunes in between all the houses. My dad's attention, however, was turned in the opposite direction. He was looking at a restaurant that was at the end of a strip mall and I could see empty tables there in the window. My dad says, God is faithful. My father has a deep faith and we enjoy talking theology but I had no idea where he was going with this one. I'd never noticed that restaurant before in all our trips down there since I was a little kid. My dad then said, that's the restaurant where my wife and I were sitting and eating breakfast when we found out we had lost most of our retirement income in 2008 when the stock market fell. And we had no idea how we were going to make it. We had no idea what we were going to do. We had worked so hard and planned so carefully and I had already retired and we didn't know what would happen next. He said, I started to worry And then he said, we decided to pray. And as we sat there eating breakfast at that window, we started to think, God has been faithful all these years until now in our lives. Why would this make that change? That God did not bring us this far to forget about us now. And so we will not worry. And we will put our trust in God. I kept driving. I'd never heard that story before. I had no idea how much that had impacted my dad and my stepmom. My dad just started shaking his head. He said, Emily, that was 15 years ago. God is faithful. Thank you, my Lord. My dad's story was powerful. And like I said, I'd never heard that before. I didn't know what that time had been like for them and all these years to know that that had been a challenge. My dad's trust in God is something that I have watched and heard and been soaked in for most of my life, and for that I am grateful. With all that he has been through, not to mention the loss of his first young wife, my mom, and all the many family challenges he's had since then, his trust in God is deep. And he has told me many times he has no idea how to live any other way. He couldn't imagine it. He is an example for me. And he tells me, um, he laughs and says, I know you're a pastor and all, but 
you don't trust God right. (laughs) He says, Emily, you need to lead on God. Not just prop up against God, lean all the way back and let go. And trust that God will hold you. And you know it. If we don't let go, he says, we still think it's on us. If we don't let go, we still think it's about us and what we can do or cannot do. And that is when we start to worry. And I've got good news and bad news about worrying. So which do you want first? Bad. All right, let's get it over with. The bad news is that you cannot control what happens by worrying. The good news is you cannot control what happens by worrying. It's the truth. Worry will never change an outcome. As someone has said, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Our text today is Jesus talking to us about worrying. He's standing in front of a crowd and people are asking him questions and he turns to the disciples at the beginning of the passage Marvana read for us today in verse 22 and says, Therefore, don't worry about your life. When we see therefore in a passage, we need to pause. It means something came before it. In fact, whenever we read or interpret scripture, it's important to unpack what's around the text, what comes before and after it. We seek to unpack the context, both in the canon and in the culture. So first in the context of the canon, the scripture, a story comes before our text today. It's our link to the therefore. A man in chapter 12, verse 13, asks Jesus to tell his older brother to give him more of the family inheritance. That doesn't sound problematic at all. Families divvy up money, property, furniture, heirlooms, and all that never gets contentious, does it? It's so easy for that to get out of hand. In our culture today, it seems the very same thing was true back then. Second, in the context of the culture, laws at that time stipulated that the older son was to get two-thirds of the family estate and the younger one-third. And it was not unusual at the time for a person to seek the assistance of a rabbi like Jesus to arbitrate when somebody felt like they were getting gypped. So Jesus, interestingly, chooses not to get involved and responds, who made me a judge over you? And seems to sense that something is underlying that younger son's request because the next thing then Jesus says is be on your guard against greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions 
There's far more to life than that. And if greed is the issue, who's to say which brother's greed would be more justified? Is greed ever justified? Jesus then tells a story to make his point more clear. A landowner, he says, had a bumper crop. He had big barns, but this was a substantial harvest and it would not hold them all. And he wanted to keep all of the harvest for himself. We hear that in the story. Notice how Jesus tells it. The man says, my crop, my barns, my grain, my goods. The man decides to tear down his big barns and just build bigger ones to keep it all. Perhaps he did think life does consist in the abundance of possessions. And the one with the most toys wins. The man congratulated himself on all he had kept. Now he said he could relax, eat, drink, and be merry, and do whatever he wanted, however he wanted, whenever he wanted, for many years to come in self-indulgent comfort, as if that is what life were all about. But in the story Jesus tells, he dies unexpectedly that night, and God calls him a fool. This night, your life is ending. What good is all the stuff in those big barns to you now? So it is, Jesus says, with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. In both of those stories, both of those men were worrying. In the first part, the younger son is worried about getting what he wants and more. In the second, the landowner was worried about himself and protecting what he had and more. Both were worried not about others, but about themselves. And then comes that flag word as we start what Marvana read for us today, that word, therefore, Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about your life, not like this. Not about these things. Not that way. It's interesting. Worry is nothing new. This story confirms that people have been worrying about things for over 2,000 years in thousands of ways, about thousands of things. The word worry derives from an old English word meaning to strangle. That word root is an apt description of what worry does to us. And being overly concerned about something, it catches us in our grip. A preacher said many years ago, I heard what worries you masters you. Takes over our thoughts, directs our priorities, steals our sleep, churns our stomach. It's like an earworm in our minds that won't let us go. And the more we worry, it tends to push God to some back burner. As we worry about so many things, not only money, but children and relationships and grades and health and jobs and crime and accidents and the future, you name it, we can worry about anything. And I need to make a side note here. 
that sometimes we mix up worry and anxiety. And we need to name that worry is generally not the same thing as anxiety. If you are someone who struggles with anxiety, you know that is a more intense experience. And we encourage you to have additional support and a safe place to talk about that with someone you trust. Please know we care about you and what you're experiencing. And it is a good and wonderful thing to ask for help. Please speak with someone you trust or our counselor on the church staff or other professionals who can offer coping strategies and therapeutic options. And that is not what Jesus is talking about in our passage today. What Jesus is talking about with the lilies and the ravens and the grass and all the birds takes me back to what my dad was talking about at that restaurant back in Nags Head last summer. He said that he and his wife could have lost a lot of life and a lot of sleep and joy and peace of mind over the loss of so much of their retirement resources and what was ahead. They could have panicked. Instead, they chose to trust in what they had known to be true of God for the last 60-some years. And they believed the same would be true of that same God for however many years were to come. And it has been. Philippians 4.13 tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a good verse to memorize. And it reminds us it's not about what we can do or our strength. It is all about what Christ can do in us and through us and with us. God did not bring us this far to forget about us. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage, and you can trust it and lean on it and lean on the God who tells us that. We asked one of our church members, who's also one of our governing board members, Vicki Brooks, about what it's like to trust God, especially when things are difficult. And I want you to hear what she had to say. So check it out. Proverbs 3 verse 5 tells us not to be relying on our strength and knowledge, but to trust in the Lord. For me and my faith journey, this is easier said than done. I pride myself on being in control and well organized. Just ask my husband. He provides gentle pushback to keep my control and organization to myself. He does not need to be well organized or controlled, he tells me, and he reminds me that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. I have a tendency when faced with challenges and crises in my life to put up a wall and shield myself under the guise of my own strength and resolve. I grew up with messages of, don't ask for help, you can do this on your own, be strong, don't show weakness. I have all the motivational pronouncements and I keep a running tape in my head. Believe in yourself, stay calm, it's on you, smile, pull yourself up from your bootstraps, never let them see you sweat. Opportunities don't happen, you create them. Nothing is impossible, stay positive, better days are on their way, until they're not. God spoke to me one early morning through the voice of a nurse at Mary Washington Hospital. My husband had not been feeling well for a few weeks and was being treated for what was thought to be a sinus infection. 
It was determined later, since he was not showing signs of improvement, that medical tests were required and he was admitted to the hospital to have a transbronchial lung biopsy. I was sitting in the waiting area after giving my husband a hug and a kiss before they took him away for the procedure. I had not slept at all the night before and that morning I was filled with worry, anxiety and fear and it showed. A nurse approached me and asked, are you okay Mrs. Brooks? It looks like you haven't slept at all. I responded, yes, that's correct. And then I played my tape and said to her, I know I just need to be more positive and everything will be okay. To which she replied, no Mrs. Brooks, you need to be there for your husband no matter what the outcome. I could feel my body bristle and thought to myself, what did she just say? She certainly could have been more warm, consoling, and positive. At that moment, God was speaking through that wonderful nurse, reminding me that my tape left out what I needed most, God's protection and the comfort of his presence, and it's available for the asking, trusting in him and prayer. When God permits trials, he also provides comfort. My son was a freshman at Virginia Tech when a lone gunman killed 32 people on April 16, 2007. Marion Hamron's daughter, Caitlin, was one of the students killed. Marion tells her heart-wrenching story of loss and faith in the Guidepost magazine entitled, Please Pick Up, as she called Caitlin's cell phone again and again and again and again and again. Marion tells of the drive back to New York from Virginia Tech after her and her husband cleaned Caitlin's room and received Caitlin's laptop from authorities. Marion describes staring at the laptop for a long time during the long ride home thinking, no more messages from my daughter, no more of Caitlin's funny emails or pictures with her sorority sisters. Marion writes, without thinking, I opened it, why I'm not sure, until I saw it. A small strip of paper taped just above the laptop screen with the words written, God, I know that today nothing can happen that you and I can't handle together. Marion goes on to say that she knew her daughter taped those words on her laptop because she totally believed them, but not Marion. She writes of her faith journey after Caitlin's death. She said Caitlin's passing had brought her out of her old world and into a new one, a world where things can go wrong, more wrong than she'd ever imagined they could. But with the Lord's help, there was nothing, absolutely nothing that could happen to her that she couldn't get through. Marion writes, how do I know? Caitlin told me. She left me a message after all. Thank you, Vicki, for sharing that. In a world where things can go unimaginably wrong, where the last things we thought could happen could happen, we can be assured that God does carry us. And when we lean all the way back and land on that God who holds us forever, it can give us that strength to keep on going through it all. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And Jesus says, trust God. God cares for you. And our assurance comes not from the stuff we put in our very big barns, but from the God who carries us. Be rich toward God, Jesus says. Invest in God's kingdom. Store treasures in that kingdom where the first is last and the last is first. And Jesus calls us to take love and grace and the gospel to the least and the last and the lost. And yes, we plan and are responsible, but the question is from where our assurance comes 
from money, from clothing, from stuff. Jesus says no. Not in our barns and bigger barns and garages where things can be destroyed, but our assurance, our foundation is anchored not in what we have or don't, but in that which never fails. In our God, in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When our treasure is found in God, our heart may be secure and we can take a nap and let God be God for a while. Therefore, Jesus says, don't worry. We can't control life anyway, not make ourselves taller, not make anyone live longer, not change the outcome. Trusting God is not always easy. I get that. Like my dad says, I'm not very good at it sometimes either. It can be messy. God likes surrender. We like control. God is steadfast. We are not. I've been going through my own worries this last week or two. And things have been difficult, complete with loss of sleep and that old stomach churn as well. And in my deep need prayers to the Lord, what I've been hearing from God is this. Let me take care of it. Thanks be to God. I pray that God will help me trust enough for today and tomorrow will help me trust just a little bit more. So you may be wondering what all this has to do with stewardship. (laughs) It's nice to hear about trust, but what does it have to do with this stewardship series? If our treasure, our heart is in God and we're leaning all the way back and letting go of worry, our hands and hearts can feel more free. Peace of mind helps us to be lighter. We open ourselves more to God and more to others and more to the needs in the community and we receive those blessings from God and have no trouble wanting to share them, and investing in what God is up to among us. God changes that for which we grasp. A trusting spirit learns to let stuff go and live a little lighter. How do we live it out? To God we give our worries. To God's ministry and mission, we give our time and our talent and our resources and invest it there. In verse 33, Jesus says, sell your possessions. I don't know anyone who follows that verse literally, but that's what Jesus says. How do we honor the spirit of it at least? What's one way we can live it out? A friend of mine had some great ideas She said, Emily, what if we give stuff away that what they do in their family is every time they buy a T-shirt, they give a T-shirt away. Every time they buy a new coat, they give an old coat away. Every time they get new toys for the kids, they give some toys away. Every time they make a casserole, which is a feat in that house, they try to make a second one at the same time. 
and stick it in the freezer so it's ready to go when there's someone they know who needs it and they give that away. What if we give in these healthy, faith-driven ways to the dreams and mission and ministry of God as God calls us into the community to make a difference there? If we store our stuff in the community, that's being rich toward God. And nothing, not moths or rust, can take that away when our wants are tempered by someone else's needs and God is our anchor and stuff does not matter that much. Don't worry, Jesus says. Don't worry, Jesus says. Don't worry, Jesus says. Take a nap and let me be God for a while. God did not bring us this far to forget about us. So let's not prop up against God, but lean on God. Lean all the way back and let go. Amen and amen.